0: Welcome to episode 62 of Off The Shelf.
1: In the Holy Bible, in the book of Matthew, read the 18th chapter in the 21st verse. Jesus plainly tells us that we must have mercy. There's a special warning in the about him if you never have mercy if he gets into trouble and you don't try to help him then you don't love your neighbor and you don't, don't love God
0: Thanks for joining us for our second episode of season two of Off the Shelf. In our last episode we caught up with Emily Arndt and introduced you to Tim Kraus. This episode continues with the discussion that Emily, Tim, and I had on the 8th of August, 2020. I I want to go back to the point that you talked about, which was this issue of William Branham being the the source for uh, proper understanding of the Bible, which in fact, I've said, you guys really exalt William Branham's teachings above the Word of God. And they would say, I've never put Brother Branham's teaching above the Bible. He told us the Bibles are absolute, and that's what I believe. But they say that, but they don't actually believe it. And the reason is when they say, okay, well, like William Branham is one of the greatest prophets of all time, number one. Number two, William Branham, because he's the seventh angel, couldn't make any significant doctrinal errors because the purpose of his ministry was to reveal all the hidden mysteries of God. Thirdly, they would say, you know, there's nothing that William Branham taught that disagreed with the Bible. And so, and and then on top of that, they would say the only true evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is believing the word for your hour. So I have to believe William Branham. And And in fact, other people would say, I've heard the message is Jesus Christ. So when you take all of that stuff together, basically, you're putting William Branham's teachings above the Bible because, and where you'd say, well, okay, I've got this issue with the Bible and what William Branham teaches, put it on the shelf. As you mentioned before, that's where we got the name from for this podcast. Put the, the Bible teaching on the shelf, take what William Branham says, and eventually God will reveal it to you.
2: Yeah, the the revelation part to me is the is the most insidious part. That you know, we when I left the message, people said, "Well, you obviously didn't have a true revelation of the message, or you'd still be there." You came and you you studied and you you were there for a while, but you you really didn't have a revelation of the message. Had you a revelation of the message, you would realize that William Branham's the very sermons and the very message of William Branham uh, are the revelation of everything scriptural and that if you didn't believe you didn't understand it it's because you didn't have a good enough revelation you didn't have a good enough understanding of of a the bible and b what brother Branham was saying which is which is which is interesting because that presumes then that um that the bible can be wrong or uh that presumes that somebody else can correct the bible and sort of tell you what the Bible is really, well, well, this is, this is what it said, but this is really what it meant.
0: The really interesting thing is Psalm 138, verse 2, David says this, I bow down towards your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness, for you have exalted
2: above all things, your name and your word. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. So, so when I left the message, it was a function of I, I hadn't left God at all, despite what the people in the message uh, ministry or that or that particular assembly would have told you. And I wanted to know, I was so frustrated and angry, I wanted to know more about God and to really dig into what that was all about, because frankly, I didn't after that, I didn't see the message as being related to God, and I knew that there were some areas that I had adopted that, were, were had separated myself from god as a result of accepting that as part of the message so I wanted to get back to that uh, to, to the foundational document uh, which was God and which was the Bible and i i began to do that study uh, pretty significantly and in fact attended a uh, seminary which was kind of a between 2004 and 2014 attended, um, you know, online classes, but also working with ministers in the Foursquare organization. Um, And I attended seminary and was actually uh, ordained as a minister. Now, it's not my calling to have a church. It is not my intention to uh, be uh, a minister in Foursquare, but the study offered me the opportunity to, uh, to be ordained as a minister, and I'm glad to have done it. The issue is um, the Study was amazingly rich and and incredibly important to me. What was different about, as an example, that environment versus the message is when I came across something that I didn't understand or didn't necessarily agree with, and there are still some issues that I don't necessarily understand or agree with within that, within that framework or that structure, it wasn't a function of you need to get in line, you need to toe that line and make sure that you follow that doctrine doctrinally or, or you know you, religiously. It was much more a function of let's figure out how we can examine that. Let's look at that. And in the message, you're never exi- invited to examine the message. In the message, you're never to, invited to compare it to the Word of God. So, you know, th- at the end of the day, the the learning environment was completely different. The study of the Word, the study of, of uh, you know, of the Bible was hugely rich for me and very, very, very gratifying to me. So,
0: so Tim... <clears throat> In your study of Scripture, I didn't go to seminary, but I did. I have done a certificate in apologetics from uh, from Biola, mm-hmm. um, and I've done a whole bunch. I've I probably audited about uh, you know a dozen or more courses from Regent College. Um, what have you come to understand about the message with respect to the Scriptures? So, where do you see are the greatest departures from the Bible? That William Branham had. What are the big yeah. issues? And I know you've looked at this in some detail.
2: Yeah, I, I actually have. One of the—it's interesting. We, you know, the premise that every message minister starts with—the premise that I came to the message with—was that William Branham is a prophet of God. There's no contention. There's no room for discussion. William Branham is a prophet of God, and you accept that or you reject that. But if you're going to be in the message, you start with that premise. And you're, that's by you faith. Accept that.
0: Right? That's it, by yeah, faith. Oh yeah,
2: because that's by revelation. You've got to get that by revelation. So your job is to is to accept that on faith, and then you will begin to understand or have revealed all of these things. So the the premise starts off at the fact that William Branham is a message or is a is a prophet. The challenge is scripture tells us. Some, we, you know, Jesus Christ told us several times: there are going to be people who do signs and wonders. You're going to have people who have visions that come to pass. The, John, uh, the evangelist, tells us there will be people who show up and they'll tell you that they're a prophet of God. Paul tells us in his letter to the Thessalonians: you know, don't despise prophecies. There, there's people going to show up and they're going to declare that they're a prophet of God. But in each one of those cases, we are told and we're instructed but make sure what you hear aligns with God's word because there are false yeah. prophets. Yeah. And and it, so the, the message sort of skips over that part. You don't have to, <laughs> don't, you know, don't verify that Branham's a prophet of God. Don't, you just need to make the assumption that he's a prophet of God because we have said that. Therefore, since he is a prophet of God, this is, the message is reality. The message is the revelation. And so when I, began to discover that oh my goodness here we have somebody who declares themselves a prophet of god and inserts themselves into scripture uh in various places like malachi four five and six that here we have somebody who has inserted themselves into that and they i mean that's the you know the you know jesus christ the same yesterday today and forever in hebrews you know the you know I mean, here we have somebody who declares themselves over 400 times in over 1,100 sermons, as it turns out in William Branham's case, that they are a prophet of God and nobody bothered to check? That So we didn't go through the examination of what is what, how do we evaluate a prophet of God? Yeah. And, and what is it that we need to understand about whether somebody is a prophet of God or they're not a prophet of God? And as a result of that, my the ba- a lot of the basis for my scripture was to say, how do we determine who a prophet of God is? And the best example that I could come up with in scripture was the Bereans in chapter 17 of the book of Acts. Yeah. In, in verses 10 or 11, the Bereans, you know, uh, Paul and Silas went to the Bereans. These were Jews who, you know, who now had, um, they were, they were, they invited Paul and Cyrus to the Bereans and they basically Paul and Cyrus showed up. They spoke with them. And instead of just assuming that what Paul and Silas said was correct. And Emily, you mentioned this before they examined what they said against scripture every day. And they made sure that what they heard was actually of God. There can be no better example of exactly how to examine Uh, A a prophet of God, somebody speaking with you today, somebody who spoke with, you know, who spoke earlier and whose sermons you're listening to or whose sermons that you're reading, you need to make sure that what they say actually aligns with the word of God. And if it doesn't, they don't qualify as a prophet of God. And it's a zero tolerance policy. So if one thing that they say doesn't align with the word of God, they aren't a prophet of God you look at the book of deuteronomy it says here's deuteronomy 18 starts at, at verse 20 it it talks about when you hear somebody say something that is supposed to be from god and it does not come to pass is not true does not align with scripture then that person spoke presumptuously he is not a prophet of god in old testament times william Branham would have been stoned to death because of the things he said that just didn't align with the word of God. Zero, there's a zero tolerance policy in Scripture for somebody not qualifying as a prophet of God. So the, the, the basis of my emphasis when I talk to people in the message was to say, well, it's interesting that William Branham said that. Walk me through how he qualifies as a prophet of God. And if he and it's if he can. If you can demonstrate to me that William Branham qualifies as a prophet of God, I am all ears because every one of us wants to be sure that they are seeking Christ and seeking the best of Christ for themselves and their salvation. But as soon as somebody doesn't qualify for a prophet of God, then how are we supposed to behave? And this is a thing that, that people who are still in the message today have a real challenge with. When you discover that we, when you examine William Branham as a, you know, against the Scripture to determine whether or not he's a prophet of God, the next question is, when you discover that what he said didn't align with the Word of God, which is frequent, then the question is, how are we supposed to behave? And and Scripture is really, really clear. Deuteronomy 18:22 says, "Ignore him." Right. Yep. In Deuteronomy 13, it says, "If somebody teaches another God, that is, if somebody teaches something that doesn't align with the word of our God, then kill him." In the New Testament, examples are given to you. First Timothy chapter six, it says, "If somebody else teaches something that that Jesus Christ." Uh, or other than the word, the good news of the message and the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you should withdraw yourself from that teaching. And withdraw thyself, in the in the King James Version, it's very, very clear, it says withdraw thyself. And at the end of the day, we, you know, so, so we're, our behavior, we're instructed to say, Let's figure out whether this guy's a prophet of God. If we can determine that he doesn't meet the qualification of the prophet of God, then we ignore him or we kill him too late or we separate ourselves from what he teaches. And yet we've got ministers in the message today that are basically saying, well, you know, he made mistakes and he was a human being and we understand that there were some errors that he introduced but but, but the, but the important thing to remember is, see, he is the prophet, and because he is the prophet, then, you know, we take what he said, which was correct, and that's what we hang our hat on. That's what we focus our, our attention on in terms of the message. All the other stuff that was incorrect, it's like the Wizard of Oz. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Right? <laughs> so. And the other
0: thing, too, is... You know, they they basically say, well, we really okay. Maybe there are issues here about him as a person, and but but the the word he taught was so perfect. But yeah. then when you look at it, all the major teachings he stole from Clarence Larkin and other people, yeah, and yeah. and plagiarized it and never told anybody where he got it from. He said, no, oh, I'm getting this from God. You know, the angel speaks to me. This is revelation I got directly from God. And then when you discover that no and actually stole the seven church ages, the seven seals, he got that from Clarence Larkin, other stuff, you know, he, yes. he took from other people, all the credibility disappears.
2: Well, and so then you should call it the message of Clarence Larkin as opposed to the message of William Branham. Because at the end of the day, if that's his major, major revelation that sets him apart from everybody else, he revealed the seals. Oh, well, Clarence Larkin revealed the seals. Cl- yeah. William Branham just republished it. Yeah. And at the end of the day, it uh, so it should be called the message of Clarence Larkin as opposed to the message of William Branham, but because William Branham is the prophet and Clarence Larkin clearly wasn't. Now, Clarence Larkin considered himself the Elijah spirit as well, which is no different than what William Branham considered himself, but at the end of the day, because Clarence, you know, he wasn't the vindicated prophet and therefore, that's why William Branham—he—he he may have gotten, he may have taken information, but—but but that's not to say that God didn't reveal it to him directly as well, right?
3: I, th- I think it's interesting that you had mentioned uh, the Wizard of Oz pay no attention to the man behind the curtain because the question I often have, and we're talking about you know scripture here and, and reading in context and stuff, and friends would be like, well, do you have a different Bible? And I said, no, we read the Bible, but we read it through Branham-colored glasses. And in the movie, when you go up to the Emerald City, it's emerald. But if you read the book, The Wizard of Oz, when you went up to the gate— The gatekeeper put on protective glasses, strapped them onto your head, and the glasses were emerald-colored. So, you know, it's the filter that they're looking through, the the Emerald City. Well, you're looking through your city glasses, which are emerald-colored. That's funny.
2: Yeah. So we can honestly say they have message colored glasses. Huh? That's funny.
3: <laughs> exactly. And that's how reading scripture, they can see things and go, yes, this aligns to what Branham said. And and when you don't understand it, well, just have faith and only believe, you know, and I was thinking about when you're talking about going up to the message ministers and asking them questions and they're saying, well, you know, we've been in this 40 years, but you're just new to this. It comes to mind uh 1 Timothy 4:12 don't let anyone look down on you because you're young but set an example for the believers in speech in life in love in faith and in purity so here we see in scripture there is yes there is there are elders in the church there are pastors um so on and so forth but following Jesus you know if if this person has uh you know something to share in the faith listen to him You know, it doesn't matter how long they've been in it.
2: Yeah, you know that's that's an incredibly good point. You know, when one of the things also is that we're one of the message. One of the things message churches tend to tell you, which is completely untrue, is that everybody in that message church is at the same place spiritually. They're 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 everybody believes that William Branham's the prophet. Everybody believes that the message is you know the the revelation of the word of God. Thank goodness we don't all have that. You know, when we walk into an assembly, people say all the time that are in the message, well, you go, what, you know, what church would you go to? Because, oh my gosh, you go to these different churches and there are people all over the place. People walk in, they're dressed so badly and they, you know, well, the point is that those people may not have, and and I have to say, if we were judged by from where we came, in order to reach a realization of Christ as our, as our Savior, man, I'd, I'd still be out in the weeds. Nobody would have believed that, I, you know. I mean, my, I came from a situation in the Army where I completely rebelled against Catholicism and ritualism and doctrine, right? And, uh, you know, if, I, if somebody looked at where you came from and said, oh my gosh, how could you possibly walk into the door of our church, because you come from a completely different area as it relates to God, then nobody would ever be invited to accept the message or be invited to accept the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when we, when we talk about message ministries, we talk about people, you know, the gatekeepers at the door, ministers will tell you, I've asked the deacons to do that because I want to protect the flock. It's my job to make sure the people inside the church aren't impacted by those who would come from the outside that hold different standards or have different, you know, different beliefs, right? So I'm not going to let anybody come into my church that's not where we are, right? But at the end of the day, churches, the the churches are open. I mean, if you believe somebody really needs God, you should be inviting them into your church because in theory, that's where God is preached, Right. And so, if you if you think somebody, and it, you know, uh, if you think somebody really really needs God, because oh, well, I can look at them, look at the way that look at that way that person is dressed. Oh my gosh, how could they possibly let themselves out in public, let alone come to a church dressed like that? Well, if you think they really need God. Then wouldn't you invite them in so that the Holy Spirit can actually help them? Can actually, you know, they can they can have confidence in the Holy Spirit to lead them and to you know to fix what they're doing or to or to resolve some of the issues they have in their lives. So, you know, this is another area where the ministry excludes themselves, or I should say, separates themselves from everybody else. First of all, if you if you don't come to this church, you're not coming to the right message church, right? So we're separate. If you don't have, you know, if, if you don't come to a message church, you just don't have a revelation. You don't have a revelation of God if you don't come to a message church or attend a message church. And we're not going to let anybody from the outside come into our church who may need God because they may spoil the people that are already here. Right. So it's, it's, it's like it's a separation from everybody else. And, and they come by it honestly because that's what Branham told them to do. Is separate yourself. Get rid of these people. You know. Get you know. Ignore the denominations. Denominations. Other denominations are evil. They don't. They don't know what they're talking about. You know. So you know. It's just. It's a shame because they they choose to separate themselves. I had friends that were in the message. Great friends, as a matter of fact. The lady whose house that I would go to. Their family. She passed away after I had left the message. And their daughters reached out to me and said, we'd love for you to come to the funeral. And I gave that a lot of thought. And part of me said, yes, I'm going to that funeral because I'm going to show message people, you know, how unreprobate I can be. Gee, I can even shave every now and again and dress appropriately, and and I'm going to go to that funeral. And then it occurred to me, you know, that's probably the wrong reason to go to a funeral. But more importantly than that, I knew that the ministry who was giving that sermon was going to be a message ministry, and a lot of the people that were going to attend that message funeral had been told boy, don't, you know, this guy is completely off the rails. Don't hang out with him. The last thing I wanted to do for that family was to create more issues when Mm -hmm. what they wanted to do is to bury their mother. And I made the decision not to go to that funeral in order to be able to not have to have that, just not be a distraction for the family for that particular issue. And I'm sorry for that. I wish I had gone to the funeral because I, I didn't have an opportunity to do that. And she was such a gracious, loving Christian person. And I wish I had gone to that service, and I wish I had spent some time talking to the family. As it is, I've had opportunities to talk with the family, the girls particularly, not the husband, but the girls, um, you know, from time to time and, and to chat with them and to catch up on things. But at the end of the day, I, I wish I had gone to that funeral. This is the purpose of this podcast. There are people
0: in the message who are Christians. The message has stunted their spiritual growth, and they can't yeah, I would it because of the bad teaching they get and the fear that they live in. But I mean, one of the, one of the uh, most wonderful ministers that I knew was Lonnie Jenkins, and he had a different approach than other message ministers. I went to Lonnie with all my questions, and he goes, Rod, wow those are really good questions. And he didn't kick me out because I had questions. He said, those are really good questions. I said, I'm looking for answers. And he was honest. I don't have any answers to the questions that you're asking, Rod. I don't. When I looked at the message and started, you know, what I saw in the ministry of the church that we attended, Tim, uh, and, and what was going on, I said, there's something wrong here. And so I started studying the message to prove it to be true. And that's doing what the Bereans did. And that's when I ran into problems because I couldn't, I couldn't prove it to be true. We started running into problems. And then for a period of three or four years, every week or two, there would be a new problem. And I would talk to my kids and my wife and just like, wow, look at what I just found. They go, oh my goodness. This is until my son finally said, dad, you know, I was putting things on the shelf and, you know, five years ago, I had nothing. I had nothing really si- significant on the shelf. Now my problem shelf has so many problems on it. The problems are falling off. It's full. I'm done. Yeah.
2: Yeah. 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 Well, and that's, and frankly, you get, I don't know how you don't get to that point when you earnestly are seeking right? When you earnestly want to know the truth. I agree. I don't know Mm -hmm. how you don't run, I mean, you run headlong into problems with the message. If you're really looking at scripture, I don't know how you don't run into problems. So, you know, there, and uh, Rod, this goes to your, your point about, you know, people that are still in the message. I, I, there are fabulous people in the message that, I mean, and I, and I'm in contact with so few of them now. Um, You know, my, i my work and, you know, my travel takes me away from the Seattle area so much these days that I really have no contact, for the most part, with people that are up in that assembly or that are up in that in that area. We're down here in the Tempe area for a little bit, and I, you know, and I I had met some people here who have come out of message churches and have spent some great time fellowsh- fellowshipping with some really, really great folks here, um, and... You know it's it's been a, it's a real blessing to be able to communicate with those folks a- and you start there okay we we were both in a message assembly now we're out of the message assembly in her case her father was the ministry of the message assembly or the minister of the message assembly so you start at you know at that baseline with that baseline you know but and it quickly moves on to other things um that you know you you can find yourself You know, my wife and I truly, truly enjoy the time that we spend with those guys. And, you know, we rarely talk about the message anymore. It's a function of just having great friends that, you know, we did. We come together as a result of having been in the message at one time. Yeah. Do we, you know, we've discovered that we kind of like each other and we're going to hang out together. And that's the way that goes. You could easily hang out similarly with people who are still in the message. The people that I met at that message church where I attended on that weekend, there are some folks that are very, very nice people. Now, they look at me like I'm, you know, I have three eyes and my tail has been radiated. But at the end of the day, the, you know, the, the, you know, uh, so they so they have no desire of associating with me. But they're very, very nice people. Could I see myself associating with those guys? Yeah, on a, on a personal or a casual basis, you bet. They're just people like everybody else who have. You know, a different belief structure. The challenge is the ministry and how the ministry chooses to treat people who have left the message. And I think they do this in self-defense. This is my impression at any rate. I think they do this out of self-defense. They're seeing a shrinking revenue stream. People are leaving the message they're not giving to the church. At the end of the day, they're in the interest, their interest is protecting the revenue stream. It's a business to them as much as it is anything else. They're protecting their revenue stream, so you must not associate yourselves with other people. Because if you associate with people, particularly ex-message believers, then you may come to the conclusion that you don't need to be in the message and there's my revenue as a problem. Right? So I think the ministers have a much, much greater issue with former message believers than others do.
0: We're going to end the podcast there as we try to keep our episodes around 30 minutes in length. We invite you to join us next week for the third and final installment of our discussion with Emily and Tim. If you have a question or comment, please feel free to go to our website at offtheshelf.life. There is a comment section at the bottom of every episode's webpage. Or you are welcome to send an email to me at rod at offtheshelf.life. And always remember, God is not afraid of your questions. Have a great week and thanks for listening. There's
1: a God Almighty and you've got to love him. If you want salvation in a home high. Say you love him while you hate your neighbor Then you don't have religion, you just told a line Oh, you don't love God If you don't love your neighbor, if you gossip about him If you never have mercy, if he gets into trouble And you don't try to help him You gossip about him if you never have mercy, if he gets into trouble and you don't try to help.